Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Oh man, well you know this weekend we are kicking off this series called Stand Against where we're going to be spending the next seven weeks in, uh, in eight verses in Ephesians 6. So what I'd love for us to do as we get started is to actually read the whole passage together. So uh, if you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 starting from verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints." As we were reading through this passage, I'm curious what came to mind. Uh, was it perhaps uh, High King Peter from the Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> as you're going through the different pieces of the armor? Or, or maybe it was the 300 Spartans interlocking their shields, marching forward. Or perhaps it was Gladriel from the Rings of Power Uh, Or maybe it was this war scene, this battle scene from the movie Dunkirk. intense, right? (laughs) Like there is nothing said in that 30 second clip. It was all sound effects. And man, that tension like about what for what was going to happen, like it felt so real. Well, we're calling this series Stand Against because that sort of tension that we just watched doesn't just exist in movies about war. That tension exists today because aggression has become so normal. It's become so common to vilify the other, to you know, draw a line in the sand and to make whoever disagrees with you the enemy. And yeah, I know I, I often joke about the flames because uh, they are the other and in the Battle of Alberta, they are kind of the enemy, right? But it's just hockey, right? It's, it's just a game. Um, unfortunately though, uh, as you know, not everyone's good at containing that aggression just to games. Haven't you noticed it? 
like how normal it's become to deal in absolutes, to stand against people who disagree with you, to see the other not just as someone who is someone else, but as someone who is the enemy. But contrary to what our favorite sources of news might try to say or what our political views might lead us to believe, the liberals aren't the enemy. The NDP aren't the enemy. And the conservatives aren't the enemy either. The Bible says that our struggle is against not one another, but against the spiritual forces around us. Now, when it comes to everything going on around us, you might disagree with how a particular party might be leading, but that doesn't make them the enemy. For example, I am deeply concerned with the way that the medical assistance in dying bill is being expanded by the government. This year, they plan on making people with mental illness alone eligible for assisted dying. Okay, just let that sink in. And according to the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in five Canadians will personally experience a mental health problem or mental illness in any given year. One in five Canadians. And then they estimate that by age 40, half of Canadians will have had a mental illness or still have one. Okay, so all these data points, let that sink in. So in response to all that, why is the government's solution? to expand medical assistance in dying to those who have mental illness and are not actually dying, right? Why is that the solution, especially when despair and suicide are often symptoms of mental illness, of some mental illnesses? And also on top of that, support and treatment lists are long, waiting lists are long. You know, I could go on and on with this, but here's my point. What the federal government has done with this bill and how they've passed it is frustrating. And as frustrated as I am, as sad as I am, and as much as I am praying for them and for us as a country in light of that, the government's not the enemy. Friends, the government is not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And that's what we are talking about here and what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 6. He's helping us understand that our real enemy is not one another, but it's the devil and his schemes. Take a look at verse 11 and 12 again. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So when it comes to the expansion of this bill, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not a matter of who you vote for or this way or that or the, the problems of one party or the other. The, the real issue of this bill is that God is for life and that the enemy is for death. And what this bill is trying to do is it's, it's giving people a reason to die rather than providing them with help for life. So who's behind this? <laughs> I guess the question actually, in light of what we just read here, is who is the devil, right? Because that's who our battle is actually against. So if the devil's our real enemy, who is he, right? Like, I mean, when you think about the devil, what comes to mind? It is a, a red guy wearing spandex with two horns. Like, is that what comes to mind when you 
think about the devil, or, or maybe it's a guy with a, a mustache, a goatee, and, and a, a pointy tail, <laughs> right? Like what comes to mind when you think about or hear that word, the devil, or, or, or maybe he's someone even darker from your worst nightmares, or, or, or maybe you just sweep it all under the carpet, and you're like, no, he doesn't exist. He's just a figment of our imagination. Well, that's where you're at, just consider what the pastoral theologian John Stott describes, how he describes the schemes of the devil. The wiles or schemes of the devil take many forms, but he is at his wiliest or deceitful advantage when he succeeds in persuading people that he does not exist. To deny his reality is to expose ourselves the more to his subtlety. Dr. Lloyd-Jones expresses his conviction on this matter in the following terms. I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking, we are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. In the Bible, it's clear that the devil is a real spiritual being. And if you were to survey the New Testament, there's a lot of names that he has. There's that obvious name, Satan, which uh, is Hebrew for accuser, or devil or diabolos in Greek, which is uh, what it means, that, uh, the slanderer, or Belial, or Beelzebul, or the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the, the evil one, the adversary, the dragon, the enemy, the serpent, the tester, the wicked one, and the father of lies. These are his names in the New Testament. You know, I appreciate how the Tyndale Bible Dictionary actually breaks down who he is and how he works and what his fate is. So we're gonna uh, walk through really quickly three different sections. Uh, we're not going to have time to walk through all the verses that support each of the points. So if you want to look them up later, grab your phone, take a picture. I'll tell you when to take a picture uh, if you want to study this in depth a little bit more. But we're going to walk through this pretty quickly, okay? Uh, so the first section is who the devil is. And it starts like this. Uh, the devil is the ruler of a host of angels, the controller of the world, who especially governs all who are not Christians, opposed to God and seeks to alienate all people from God. Therefore, he is an especially dangerous foe of Christians who must steadily resist him and see through his cunning. Okay, so if you want to take a picture, that's the first section um, for this. Okay, so we'll just leave it up for a second or two for you to do that. Okay, so that's who the devil is. Uh, the next section is how the devil works. Okay, and the devil works his evil will by tempting persons, hindering God's workers, accusing Christians before God, and this is the last one, if you want to take a picture, um, controlling evil persons who resist the gospel. Okay, that's how he works his evil will. And lastly, where is he? What is his fate? Well, he has now been bound and cast out of heaven through the ministry of Jesus, he can still cause physical illness when allowed by God, and persons can be delivered over to him for punishment. And this next one's the last one, if you want to take a picture. Uh, he will always be under God's control, who will eventually destroy him. 
The Bible is clear, friends, that the devil is a spiritual being and a real present force to be reckoned with. But on the other hand, the devil is clear that the, 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 the Bible is clear that the devil has been weakened and his time is limited. Why? How do we know that? Because of what? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Because of the victory that Jesus wrought through his death and resurrection. So how should we live in light of all of that? Right, in light of the fact that the Bible says your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone can, who he can devour. In light of this, how are we to live? Well, think about it like this. I heard the story one time of a mom who took her, uh, her son to the zoo and, and they were having a wonderful time going and seeing the elephants and the giraffes, the flamingos, the meerkats, and they went to all the different exhibits. And, and then they walked past the lion enclosure. And when they walked past this lion enclosure, um, I don't know what it was about the lions that day, but they were, they were antsy and, and they were agitated. They were kind of prowling around back and forth in their enclosure and, and they were roaring, like roaring, not just like uh, kind of the meow sort of roars, like, but, but loud, boisterous, shaking the enclosure. You can feel it in the ground sort of roars. Well, as you can imagine, this little boy got scared and started, uh, actually shrieked and started crying and, and just grabbed onto his, his mom's legs and, and looked up his, at his mom and, and was like, mom, uh, like, I'm, I'm so afraid. Like, I, I, I just feel like the lion's looking at me and, and just, just thinking to himself, fresh meat, right? I'm going to eat you if I can get you. All I need to do is get out of this enclosure. And I'm going to eat you. I mean, the boy was frightened. Uh, so the mom saw this and, and, and kneeled down low and, and put her arm around his shoulder. And, and he's like, mom, like, how are you not frightened? And he's like, well, son, I mean, I see the line like you see the line. But here's the difference. Um, I also see and I know how strong the enclosure is around the line. The line is strong, but the enclosure is actually stronger than the line. So I'm not worried. Well, when you think about that story, that's exactly how we should approach the devil. Uh, we shouldn't underestimate who he is. You know, we shouldn't, uh, like in a zoo, taunt, go right up to the cage and, and taunt the lion, thinking that the enclosure is like, like, we shouldn't do that sort of thing, like just pretending that the lion doesn't exist or that the devil doesn't exist. No, we, I mean, the devil still works. He has power, he has tactics, he has schemes that he does. And, and even through his roar, he could, we could feel it in our blood, right? We can feel it in our bones. And we shouldn't fall into his trap, thinking that he doesn't exist or that he doesn't have any power, but in the same way, neither should we live in fear of him. I mean, the devil is not omnipotent. The devil is not all-powerful. God is. The devil isn't. The devil isn't omnipresent in all places and at all times. He can't be. Only God is omnipresent. And the devil's not omniscient either. Only God is omniscient. The devil doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know all things. Only God knows all things. And sometimes, you know, in this 
this, 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 you know, this, this mindset that we have of like darkness and evil and light and you know, all this stuff. We think that what is true of God is also true of the devil, but it's not. Well, it's one of the ways that the devil tries to, to, to stoke fear in us, right? To say, no, I'm God too. I'm just evil. No, that's not true. He is not God. And the Bible's also clear because it says the one who is in you is greater. Not equal to, fighting alongside. No, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The enclosure is stronger than the lion. God is stronger than the enemy. But we cannot and should not underestimate the devil. Which is why the Bible's clear that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And in the next verse in 1 Peter it says, so resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And why it then says in Ephesians 6, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of of the devil. Friends, we are called to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's been defeated. Jesus has already won the victory, but we are called to stand against him. So when it comes to the schemes of the devil, there are three things that we are called to do here in this Ephesians 6 passage. We are first and foremost called to be strong. And then after that, we are called to put on the full armor of God and then stand again. So let's walk through each point. When it comes to the schemes of the devil, we are first and foremost called to be strong. To be strong. And we see that in the very first verse here. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. This the point of this passage isn't to tell us, hey, you, you got to bulk up. Uh, you got to get heavy artillery because the enemy is strong and, and we need to be stronger. No, in this verse, Paul is saying, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. He's saying this because he wants us to be aware that until Jesus returns, there will be conflict. Like there will be conflict until Jesus returns, so we need his strength and his leadership. I, I like comparing that to how it was at the end of World War II. Now for you uh, history buffs, uh, you might know this quite well, but um, at the end of 1943, Germany's defeat seemed quite certain. The war wasn't over at the, by the end of 1943, but it seemed quite certain uh, but the thing is, Hitler refused to admit defeat. He refused to surrender. Uh, so what this led to was just greater death and destruction on every side. Uh, on the Eastern Front, um, he refused to withdraw his troops. So there was death and destruction, the German Front in Poland. And then uh, the Allied Air Forces kept on dropping bombs. So there was more death and destruction in Cologne, Hamburg, and Berlin. And then on the Western Front, by the end of 1944, more than one million Germans were killed, wounded, and captured. I mean, by this point, the, the war had already been settled by the end of 1943, but death and destruction continued to run rampant on every side because Hitler refused to surrender. Well, in the same way, the devil refuses to surrender. 
The devil is bent on perpetuating as much death and destruction as he can until Jesus returns and throws him into the lake of fire during the great day of judgment. Satan knows that that's coming, but he refuses to surrender. So he's just going to perpetuate as much death and destruction as he can until that time and until that day. So when it comes to the schemes of the devil, what is Paul advising us to do? What, is, what, what do we read in the word? What we read here is that we are called to be strong. To be strong and to be strengthened in the Lord. The peace and the contentment that we can experience today because of our relationship with Jesus is only partial on this side of eternity. And until Jesus returns, we can only experience it in the midst of struggle and in the midst of this relentless, the relentless flaming arrows of the evil one. So we are called to be strong. We are called to be strengthened in the Lord. In other words, don't place your hope in your present circumstances. Don't place your hope in your possessions or in your wealth or in people, or in who you know, or in anything else that you tend to put your trust and your hope in. Don't, don't place your hope in those things because those things aren't gonna last. Place your hope and your strength in God. Because our strength is not in how much we know from the Bible, our, our strength is not in how much we, or how long we've been Christian, or how long you've been serving in the ministry, no, instead our strength is from God, in God, and through God. You know, I'm reminded um, in, when, when Moses passed and, and Joshua uh, was leading the Israelites, God told Joshua, in the face of his mentor having passed away, he, he told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Right? He says, be strong, Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And, and, and sometimes when we read that, we can literally read it like that or, or we can be like, oh yeah, well, those are just words, right? I mean, like, hey, Josh, it's an empty chair. Like, hey, be, you're, I mean, Moses was great. I don't know if you can make it. So like, you're, I don't know if you're ever gonna fill his shoes. So yeah, go Josh, be strong and courageous. Like, you can do it, buddy, hopefully. <laughs> but if you don't, we have a backup plan. <laughs> Well, that's not why God said that here to Joshua. He, it wasn't an empty encouragement. It was literally his life force being communicated through those words. Joshua, be strong, Joshua. Be courageous. That's what he was saying here. And in hearing those words and hearing those truths, Joshua was strengthened by the Lord and strengthened by his vast strength. And you know what? We have, we're one-upped. You know, we get to one-up Joshua on that because today we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And not only do we have the truth of the word of God that fills us with his strength, be strong and courageous, but we have the Holy Spirit who in Ephesians 3.16, you know, Paul prays this for the Ephesians. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, not period, but to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. That's why he says later on in verse 10, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. In other words, 
Friends, we can be in the, in, the, in the midst of this prowling lion that's roaring and walking around us. We can be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength through the infilling of and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the schemes of the devil, right, we are called in this passage to be strong, but we are also called to put on the full armor of God to put on the full armor of God. We see that at uh, the beginning of verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God. And then uh, in verse 13, it says this, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Over the next six weeks, we are going to focus in on each piece of the armor and, and what each piece of the armor means and what it means to put it on and how to put it on and, and what that translates, how that translates for us today. Uh, so we're not going to be spending time unpacking that right now. And I, so I just want to share three things uh, about the armor of God in its entirety, in its whole. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to break down each piece uh, as we go, okay? So the first thing that I want to say about the armor of God in its whole and in its entirety is that there's a reason behind each piece of the armor and where it protects, okay? There's a reason behind each piece of the armor and where it protects. Uh, Paul wasn't just talking about weapons of warfare in battle. Um, there's a reason he was talking about breastplates, shields, uh, shoes, etc. and instead of I don't know, grenades of righteousness, <laughs> right? Or like drones of, of faith or, or sniper rifles of, uh, of salvation, right? There, there's a reason. He wasn't just taking the best pieces of modern warfare at that time and putting this together. No, there is actually a reason behind each piece of the armor, which we'll discover in the following weeks. Uh, the second thing that I want to share about the armor of God in its entirety is that it's rooted in the Old Testament, about who God is, that God is a warrior, uh, and who we are called to be. Just consider these two verses. Isaiah 42, the Lord advances like a warrior, right? He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts, he roars aloud, and he prevails over his enemy. And then the second verse, Psalm 18, uh, you have clothed me with strength for battle. You subdue my adversaries beneath me. Okay, we're going to unpack that more in the weeks to come. The third thing that I want to share about the armor of God is that, the, that this isn't just armor. It's not just armor, period, but it's the armor of God. God supplies the armor. He makes the armor. It's his armor. So when we put the armor of God, it's almost as if we're putting him on, quote unquote, right? Because there's this sense that it's his armor. Armor. It's not just armor, it's the armor of God. And, and just like we have logos on our clothes, sometimes on the inside, sometimes on the outside, uh, God's logo, right? His brand is on our armor. And his armor is stronger than the most advanced bulletproof resistance armor out there. It's stronger than that, it's more comfortable than Lululemon, and it's more expensive than a Canada goose jacket. <laughs> Right? That's the kind of armor that he gives us and that we're talking about. Uh, so when it comes to the schemes of the devil, yes, we are called to be strong. We are called to put on the full armor of God. And the last thing that we see in this passage is we are called to stand against, to stand against his schemes. 
Just take a look at verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You know, when you read this entire passage from verse 10 to 18, that word stand uh, is put here. It's, it's written about four different times. We see it in verse 11, so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 13, it's twice there. The, the first way is there in English, it's resist. But in the Greek, that word resist is actually translated as withstand. So there's that there. And then it's to take your stand. And, and then in verse 14, we see the word stand, right? So, we're, so in other words, we are called to stand firm and stand together so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Right, let me say that again. For us to stand against the schemes of the devil and against him prowling around like a roaring lion, we are called and we need to stand firm and stand together in order to stand against him. We can't be wobbly, in other words. Right? We, 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 can't, we can't turn around and run away because, in fact, the armor of God is focused on the front. It's not focused on the back. So, so if we are to turn around and run away, it would mean certain death. Certain death if we were to run away. That's why Paul here is so focused on the fact that we are, that he's, he's saying four times over and over and over and over again, we need to stand. No matter, even if your faith is struggling, even if you're having a hard time believing and you are trying to work all of this out and at one point you had strong faith and, and, and now you're just wobbling and you're not quite certain what to do. He's like, whatever you do, don't turn around. Like, like those 300 Spartans that interlock their shields. Hey, you might not have enough strength to hold up your shield. You may not even know if you have a shield, but let the person on your left and on your right and in front of you and behind you hold their shields up for you. Whatever you do, don't turn around. Stand firm. Stand together so that we can stand against now, earlier in this message, we talked about the devil and his schemes, right? And his strategy is, is clearly outlined in verse 12. Take a look here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And, and you know what? If we had the time... Uh, Literally, we could spend the next day unpacking all of the different views and interpretations and understanding, not of this entire passage, but of verse 12. And I'm not exaggerating here. Like, literally, we could spend the next day, like, at least eight hours unpacking all of the different opinions and views and, and lines of thought around here. Because there's been so much work done on this one verse. But for the sake of time, after I've studied, after I studied all of those different ways, I, I just wanted to present to you what I find is the most balanced approach to this verse. 
and it's from the pastoral theologian John Stott, widely respected, okay? And this is what he says about this verse and about the spiritual forces that we are called to stand against. He says that the spiritual forces around us are powerful, wicked, and cunning. They're powerful, wicked, and cunning. So let's walk through each of these. The spiritual forces against us are powerful. Uh, when you see this verse, it's not quite clear whether this verse is referring to different ranks of evil demons in the hierarchy of hell. Some have thought that that's what this means, and they've kind of built out elaborate theologies around that, but um, that's, not, that's not super clear here. What is clear is that there are rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in the darkness. We don't know if there's a hierarchy and how the hierarchy works and all that. We don't know that, but we know that these spiritual forces around us are powerful and they're not local because this uh, phrase, cosmic powers in the Greek, refers to worldwide rule, not local rule. Okay, so first and foremost, the spiritual forces around us are powerful. But secondly, they're wicked. Uh, and they're wicked because power in and of itself uh, isn't inherently good or bad. Power is neutral. But what we see here is that the devil uses his power destructively for evil. Now, when you zoom in on this verse and it says spiritual forces in the heavens, uh, this means that the devil and his demons operate in this, this sphere of invisible reality. Right, in that, yes, I know as much as pop culture might say, oh, the devil's on one shoulder and the angel's on another, or, or you got like the, the, the red guy in spandex with this tail, I mean, and, and it's just, you know, he's here, he's there. No, what we see here is not that. What we see here is that the devil operates in an invisible realm in and around us throughout the world. He can't be in all places at all times, remember? He's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time as well as his demons, but what we see here is that more than focusing on that, that what we see here is that he is wicked and that he thus influences us and he shoots his flaming arrows at us and he works his plans and influences via people and through systems, through structures and also through institutions. Lastly, the spiritual forces around us are cunning. And I love how John Stott uh, describes or he summarizes this. He says this, the devil is a dangerous wolf, but enters Christ's flock in the disguise of a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often is as subtle as a serpent. We must not imagine, therefore, that open persecution and open temptation to sin are his only or even his commonest weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and deceive us into error. Wow, just, I mean, what a, what a wide spectrum of how he works, right? But that's how he works in influencing people, institutions, systems, and structures. He works in a variety of different ways. So Beulah Church family, when it comes to everything that we just talked about, right? When it comes to the schemes of the devil, May we be strong, may we put on the full armor of God and may we stand against, may we not live in fear, 
May we not obsess over who the devil is either. There's that song, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Not the enemy. We need to know who he is and who our battle is ultimately against. But friends, more so than focusing on his wicked schemes and his plans, what we need to recognize is that the devil's time is limited and his power has been weakened because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. So instead of standing against each other, may we stand together and stand firm so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, one day we're going to be wearing robes of glory. Uh, but until that day comes, we need to put on the full armor of God. We need to put on the full armor of God. We need to be strong and we need to stand against as we place our eyes on him. Friends, this is what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. Okay, are you ready? Are you excited for this? I know I am. Well, um, over the next six weeks, I mean, this is, you know, always, but in general, uh, but more specifically, over the next six weeks, would you commit to prioritizing gathering together as a church family so that we would be equipped and really be able to stand firm and stand together? All right, well, uh, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to end this song with a shout of praise uh, with a battle cry, like the Israelites uh, walked around the wall of Jericho so many times and they were singing praises to God and, and they weren't planting grenades in the wall as they went by or, or trying to, uh, you know, loosen the cobble stone or anything. No, they, they placed their eyes not on the enemy but on Jesus and they shouted out. They raised a hallelujah in their worship because they knew that ultimately God is the warrior, he is on their side and he was gonna go before them, behind them and beside them. So let's sing this as our battle cry. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.